Welcome to Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Ricky Jane Adams, principal and founder of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence and creator of the Spiritually Fierce movement. Spiritually Fierce is not just a phrase. It is a movement of awakening consciousness of which we are all a part, if we want to be. In each episode, we'll explore what it means to be spiritually fierce, how to become it, and why it is the revolution in consciousness that will save the world. Join me and my fierce guests for deep conversations on spirituality beyond the trinkets and superstitions of the new age that will support you to increase your power to serve. Hi, everybody. You're so welcome to the very first episode of season one of Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. And I'm solo for this podcast. We are going to be meeting a wonderful group of authors, both self-published and traditionally published over the course of season one. And the episodes will bring us a deep understanding and insight to the writerly process, particularly from people who are producing work inside this spiritual space, even though we're using that quite loosely. I'm very excited to bring you these conversations, but I want to begin with this episode introducing myself, introducing the Spiritually Fierce movement and my own process and experience as a self-published author. So right now, as you're listening or watching me, I am deep in the throes of producing my third book. It is entitled Superconscious Intuition, Intuition Beyond the Trinkets and Superstitions of the New Age. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you can see I've got the printed manuscript here. This is still only a draft. And my hope is that in the next month or so that will be ready. The intention is to have it published by the end of March 2022. But it's been a long time coming and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, uh, as well as talking about my first book, uh, Spiritually Fierce, which some of you may be familiar with. And this has had two iterations, two different publications. So I'm going to talk about that <clears throat> as well and really take you on a bit of a journey of my experience of being a spiritual author of nonfiction work uh, in the world, why I do it, why I'm drawn to it, why so many of us feel that calling uh, to write and so many of us report having that feeling that we have a book inside of us. What is so magnetic about writing and why are so many of us willing to show up to do it, even though it is hard, it's uncomfortable and it can be downright boring. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Ricky Jane Adams. I am the principal and founder of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence, and we're a global online training institute specializing in the development of intuition beyond the trinkets and superstitions of the new age. And really what this means for me is a new paradigm of understanding what intuition is and its role as the language of consciousness. So really intuition is a function of our awakening journey on this path of uh, spirituality. 
we'll explore those ideas more over this season and of course the coming seasons but that's enough uh, to explain what we do right now we serve women all over the world and our intention in 2022 is to expand our service to include men which is a very exciting development i have always always identified as a writer and in fact even from when i was very little i have written and written in different formats journals and stories and poems and uh, plays and have a book that i started writing in a journal <laughs> a novel that i started writing when i think i was about nine or ten years old and i still have that uh, to this day still incomplete i might get back to it one day it's always been something that has been part of my identity and something that has brought me great pleasure. It's uh, a living in that imaginary world for me or, or escaping into that, that space of my imagination from when I was very young was just a, a, a real joy. It wasn't an escape from reality. My reality was great, but it was this place that was mine and mine alone. As I grew, I continued to feel that great uh, affection for writing and really saw all the possibilities through the love of theatre that I developed. Uh, well, I've always had that too. I've always wanted to perform, always thought I'd be an actor when I grew up and, you know, studied in high school and then into university and had quite a lot of success as a young playwright. In Australia in particular, I think it's the same for uh, most of the world, we have categories of uh, where you're at in your career, especially as a playwright. And so up until 30, you're considered a young or emerging uh, playwright. And there's a lot of uh, competitions and, and awards and opportunities for that category. And I really made the most of that and had some incredible experiences getting to go on writing retreats with other young playwrights from all over the world and having my plays performed on stages all over the world and it was a very exciting time for me at the same time I was studying at university first as an undergraduate and then I went into uh, postgraduate studies when I moved to Melbourne here on the east coast of Australia and did a PhD in playwriting in fact I was also in that PhD exploring spirituality in a way that was acceptable to mainstream academia and that was through the genre of magical realism now, I normally skip over this part because it's, it's sort of tangential to my work as the principal of the Institute, but as a writer, it's really, really key to who and what I am and my understanding of the world. So I'll just break that down a little bit for you about what magical realism is and why I spent, you know, six years completing a doctorate thesis on that particular topic and also where I'm at with all of that now. So I, in my 20s, was lucky enough to be awarded a scholarship to do a PhD at the University of Melbourne. And I was in the School of Creative Arts, which is unfortunately no longer in existence, but it was a real hotbed of creativity of amazing people doing things in photography and writing and visual arts and um, digital media, um, theatre and uh, yeah, just, just this beautiful hybrid school that brought together uh, amazing people uh, to create. And I was under the supervision of the head of the school, Dr. Angela O'Brien, who is a remarkable woman who I owe a huge debt of gratitude because she is uh, such a visionary and she really held space for my vision when others didn't see it. And when I moved to Melbourne, 
<clears throat> I was in between two worlds and I had been working as an actor's agent uh, in my previous life after I'd graduated from my undergraduate theatre degree and really loved that but kept writing the whole time, producing plays and working. When I moved to Melbourne, I really wasn't sure where the path was going to lead me but I was sitting one day outside of a cafe uh, in Carlton drinking my uh, latte and opened the newspaper to an advertisement for postgraduate study um, in the School of Creative Arts and I immediately made my way up which was literally just a block down the road uh, the university is in Carlton in that beautiful old Italian neighborhood of Melbourne and uh, was quite quickly informed that that particular program was not going to be relevant to me because at that time I really thought that my future was to be an academic uh, in theatre and writing at uh, university and so I needed to have a PhD to do that. So I found out what I did need to do, enrolled in that program, was gratefully uh, accepted into it and then commenced what turned out to be seven years of study. Should have been four, had a baby in the middle of that, won't go into that story, so it delayed it a little bit, but still very um, good amount of time. So, you know, by the time I submitted my uh, PhD, I was in my early 30s. But what was it all about? Magical realism is a literary genre, so we'll often see it in novels, and it often comes from places uh, and from people who are outside the centre of power, so people who are not, uh, you know, white, hetero, middle class, uh, wealthy men, uh, really anyone who's on the margins, and in particular it emerges from places like um, Latin America um, and lots of indigenous cultures around the world who are critiquing this idea of white, uh, you know, hetero male being the norm. So it's quite a political genre, but it's also very, uh, if you like, fantastical and imaginative. Uh, if you've ever read the works of people like Gabriel Garcia Marquez or Isabel Allende, these are great examples of this magical realism which is the uh, coexistence of seemingly impossible ideas. So you might be uh, able to talk to your dead grandmother. Now, for us in the spiritual world, that might seem quite normal, but in a normal kind of Western paradigm, communicating with people who've died is magical thinking. It's not real. So magical realism is this, uh, if you like, this way of understanding the world that is built on faith. And that faith doesn't have to be in anything particularly religious or spiritual, but the idea of uh, seeing the world in a different paradigm to how the West perceives it. So we're often also looking at the world with wonder. We're seeing in unordinary ways. And one of the beautiful examples of this from uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's work, 100 Years of Solitude, is when ice is brought to this really isolated little town uh, who have no refrigeration, no electricity, have never seen such a wonder as ice. And to them, it is magical. And because of their perception of it as magical, it takes on this magical or otherworldly property. Whereas for those of us who lived in the cities and have electricity, ice is not magical. It's just a fact, right? Water, when reduced to a certain temperature, freezes and becomes solid. But we are perceiving reality through this fresh <clears throat> or innocent wonder. It's called defamiliarization. 
And so in this genre, why I was so attracted to it is because I wanted to, a way to explore my faith and my spirituality inside of a mainstream university. I didn't want to go to a, you know, a university I found on the internet that didn't have any credentials. I wanted to be in an ivory tower institute that would offer me an opportunity to really gain a high quality qualification because alongside of my, my love of, of um, spirituality and my focus on that all of my life is this other side of me, this academic who loves knowledge and learning and understanding at the highest possible levels. And so uh, this coexistence of, of ideas, these parts of me met in this PhD. And in a veiled way, I was able to explore uh, some of my very key uh, spiritual ideas. And I won't go too much into that. I do intend one day to look at the contents of my very long thesis uh, in a way that I can share uh, to a general audience that's outside of that university jargon. But for right now, it was enough for, for me to share with you that that was such an important time. And, and it was a blessing because I, with this scholarship, I was being paid to write, to explore these ideas really deeply. And as I said, with this intention, I thought of going into academia and becoming um, a professor. So long and winding road, the universe had other ideas. My university closed that school. All of my contacts and connections were basically wiped out in one go. And that path no longer seemed viable. And for a while, I sat in a space of being a, a consultant and working as an independent academic, if you like, an independent evaluator in the arts. But ultimately, it wasn't satisfying me. And I arrived at the point where I established the Institute. So at that time, I identified as a playwright and I was writing a lot and I love playwriting, but I was recognizing that my yearning to serve through my spirituality was growing and growing and growing. So now I refer to myself as a retired playwright. But what I learned in that time from beginning my, uh, you know, theater love at university, well, the study of theater at university through my undergraduate and postgraduate is the craft of writing. So what I am very keen to bring to us in this season one of Spiritually Fierce, the podcast, is not just to talk about the contents of the books that our great authors will bring us, but to talk about the craft of writing. Very often we will feel that creative energy, we'll have ideas for books, they'll flow out of us. We might have ideas for 10 books going on or subject matters that we think would be great uh, to turn into books. But where we are often lacking is that skill or that uh, uh, capacity to understand the craft of writing. Now, I am not an expert, but I have studied a lot around this idea of the craft. And it is so important to me when I produce something that I'm going to put out into the world that it doesn't feel like a first draft. And I think one of the great things about self-publishing is it's made you know the world of getting your book out there so much more accessible to so many of us. But it also has that double-edged sword that perhaps the quality of what we are producing and offering to the world is not necessarily what it would be if you went through a traditional publishing house. And a lot of that comes down to this idea of the craft of writing. We could boil that down to the redrafting process. As it lands on the page for the first time, will never be the finished product. And we then need to find that spiritual fire, that tapas, that discipline to come back and to review and to rewrite and to edit and to again and again and again, think of how else may I share this. 
I'm going to record another episode in this season where I go more into the craft of writing and how I work on that process specifically. But today I want to keep broader brushstrokes in this conversation of my writing process. As I say, writing is a lifeblood for me. It's a form of therapy. It's certainly my creative outlet. It brings me so much joy and it's also really hard. It's really hard to take uh, I, an original idea to take, you know, a first draft and craft it into something that will stand the test of time and something that is worthy of being committed to paper and put out into the world. And this is something that really matters to me. And I want to start here with these ideas. What is it that we are wanting to share with the world? From my experience, we are often premature in our desire to share through the written form with the world. And what I mean by that is that we haven't necessarily taken the time to sit with something, to grow it, to explore it, to research it, to let it unfold before we want to offer it out into the world. What this means for us, if we're writing to create legacy around our service in the world, which is so often the case with the women that I serve, is that we will then produce something that will maybe one day come back to bite us in the bum because it no longer is a reflection of the deeper aspects of our work. Now, there's no fear in having ideas that will change. In this book, Spiritually Fierce, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see me holding it. I have ideas that in my new manuscript that's sitting here, this very large, chunky thing, are being, um, if you like, either ignored or actually rejected. And that's completely fine because it's a reflection of my evolution and my understanding. When I put Spiritually Fierce out into the world though, I was very confident in those ideas. So I'm not suggesting we need to be unfixed and unchanging, but if we are going to commit to the long form of producing a book, really ensuring that we are deeply invested in that product and that we really care about it. It isn't just about doing a book for book's sake, but that we have created enough space within us to explore if those ideas that we want to share are what we are meant to be sharing with the world. There's quite a lot in that, but I guess the deeper part of what I'm inviting you to do is to really sit with, is this my legacy? Is this the contents that I want to go forth in my name? And if that feels true for you, then you know you're on the right topic. If it's something that you're casually interested in or isn't going to be you know, really important to you in another 12 months, then perhaps that could be a short article or a blog post or some videos, but it isn't necessarily the thing that's going to be produced uh, in the long term in that long format of a book. And how do I test that for myself? Well, for me, it is looking at what I am saying consistently. So I do a lot of live speaking and cover uh, a lot of topics, but they all come back to the subject of intuitive intelligence. And so I can see a consistent pattern in what I'm constantly drawn to speaking about and sharing. And as I put together the new book, Superconscious Intuition, it is in fact largely a collection of my talks uh, from the last four or five years. And it's easy to bring it together because 
even though I share those ideas in slightly different ways, they are very consistent in their theme. So I can produce a manuscript out of those. There's not something about this over here and then another random topic over here and then something over there. And this goes to a bigger conversation, which is something I share with all of my students, which is knowing your why. If you don't know your why uh, in your service or in the book that you're producing, then it will feel like that to the reader. What's the point of this book? What's the point of this service? You really need to be anchored into your why and understand your purpose. Even though that can be an evolving and changing conversation, you have to have a good handle on it at the point of producing anything because otherwise it will feel wishy-washy, it will feel vague, it will sound like you're regurgitating everybody else's content. In no way am I suggesting that you need to have a completely original idea because that is actually a very kind of narcissistic perception that you could ever come up with an original idea. There are no new thoughts in the world. Everything has already been thunk and it's naive and, and as I say, quite egotistical to suggest that you would be producing something new. But what you are doing that is original is bringing your own perspective and your own lens to it. And if we look at the... Uh, criteria or the list for what is originality, uh, in, specifically in producing a PhD thesis, which of course was my background, bringing together existing ideas in new ways is one of the, um, if you like, the ticks for creating original content. Very often we will try to create in a vacuum or we'll rename something or de-identify something so that we can claim originality, that we've do done something that no one else has done. And I actually think that's one of the biggest mistakes we make. Contextualizing your work and putting it into the conversation that's already ongoing or has been ongoing for thousands of years is an act of not only humility, but clear authority that you understand your subject, you understand who else is talking about it. You understand how it's being talked about or has been talked about. And you're actually having that, uh, you know, the, the, the maturity to not try to claim that you are the first person to ever have these thoughts. You simply cannot be. There is no possibility in a world of 7 billion plus people that you've had the only thought about that idea. And there's no need to. Your work is still valid. It's still important. It's still good because you are producing that work in a way that will reach your audience differently to the um, writing or work of someone else. Just having a sip of my coffee. So the ideas I've shared so far are kind of wide ranging and I get that. Uh, but I really do want this to be an overview and an invitation if you are considering writing for yourself as to what to look for in this big picture way. What are the ideas that really matter to you? How can you share them in a way that is bringing a new perspective to the world? And, you know, will you be excited enough about it? Does it align enough with your why that you will stay the course no matter how difficult it gets? So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the current book that I'm working on, because this is a long and winding road. Superconscious Intuition, as I said, is a collection of writings and talks that I've given between 2017 and 2021. Basically everything that's come after Spiritually Fierce. And my intention for this book has been 
for that long. I've been talking about the second book for the last five years, but it simply was not possible in the time that I had and with the focus in my service to put the energy into it. The time was not yet ripe. When I came last year to actually producing that book, um, which I had by then a first draft of, another book appeared. And that was this book, Intuitive Intelligence Training. This is a textbook for my students and only available to those people enrolled in uh, the Institute programs. But it was a beautiful lesson in understanding divine timing. A lot of the contents of that book will appear in Superconscious Intuition in a different way. But I felt very clearly, intuitively, that the handbook for my students needed to come first. Superconscious Intuition will be a public book. And whilst I am desperate to get it out there and now it's only a few months away, I'm very excited. It has, uh, you know, a different role to the textbook. And so having that humility to say, okay, I'll go where I'm being led to go. I know this is what I need to be doing, but I won't force my will. I will surrender to divine will. As a spiritual person and as a spiritual writer, that is certainly how we have to engage with our content. Now, I want to be really clear here that that to me does not mean that you get to let yourself off the hook if you're having a bad day or a bad month or a bad week. You don't want to write. You're like, ah, it's div not divine timing. I'm not feeling it. Sometimes I was not feeling it, but I had a deadline and I had to sit down and work on it. And there's a very different um, energy of being with the muse, that time where you feel that creative fire just flowing through you and you could write a thousand words in an hour and everything's just moving with ease and grace. Those times are vital and they kind of get the content down on the page. But when it comes to actually crafting something that will be remarkable for you know the world, not just a half-assed job, that's going to take spiritual sweat. That's going to take you creating structure. That's going to take you putting yourself in your seat and sitting at your desk, even if you don't feel like it. And I think we really need to find that balance because a lot of the time we can use our spirituality as a, or our intuition as a, as an opt out of taking that kind of strong action. Oh, I just, I didn't intuitively feel like it was the right time. It's like, what you mean is your ego didn't want to sit down and get uncomfortable. So you blame your spirit, but actually, it's just because you were procrastinating, right? So we've got to be really good at calling bullshit on ourselves and having strategies in place that support us when we don't feel like sitting down and writing that thing, but we have a timeline, we have a deadline. It's vital that you start with a plan. Don't try to write anything if you don't have a plan. Uh, that plan can change and it will change, but it's your map. And that map is going to guide you when you are writing. If you spend too long away or you have to have time away from what you're writing, that map is what will guide you back in after that time away. When I'm writing and I like right now, I'm getting very close to the end. It's every day. I can't have a day away from the manuscript because there's so much that I need to be focused on that if I did step away for too long, I'd lose that thread and making choices around how I set up my time. So at the moment in this uh, final kind of writing phase, this intensive writing phase, I'm getting up at 5, 5.30 in the morning to have a couple of hours of writing before my workday begins because there isn't necessarily time in my schedule during my work hours. I am carving out extra time right now to make this happen, but it isn't normal for me to have 
time in my normal schedule. So I have to make choices. Those choices then impact the rest of my life. So I have to go to bed earlier. I have to spend less time uh, with my partner. I need to make choices that are protective of getting this project done because it matters to me. So if we think that writing is just, you know, all the joy of creativity and none of the hard slog of disciplined choices, then we're going to find that we never follow through on our ideas. And I think that's a great sadness. Be willing to get uncomfortable for the work. And, you know, this process of birthing this product into this into the world, this book that you're creating is worth that discomfort. And I mean, if you're on fire with it, you will find ways to do it. And the energy will be there even in the harder phases of editing and redrafting and, and all of those bits which feel less satisfying than just pouring the creativity out onto the page. So I've covered a lot there around the big broad brushstrokes of that creative process for me. It's a really humbling process to write, but as I said, for me, it's deeply addictive. And if you were to ask me ultimately what I identify as, how I identify my service, it would always be as a writer first, which might come as a surprise to some people because, you know, the bulk of my time is as the principal of the Institute and as a teacher of, of the work. But the, the deep legacy, the deep love in me for writing to, to put this work out into the world, to reach as many people as possible is, is such a huge motivator for me and to create really high quality content. It isn't about just writing for the sake of saying, I'm a published author because that actually means nothing. In a world of self-publishing, it really doesn't give you any extra credit. Anyone can publish anything. So just writing for the sake of being able to claim I'm a published author is really uh, not achieving anything. To write because what you want to share matters to you so deeply and you couldn't possibly imagine keeping it inside of you for yourself alone is absolutely essential to this the quest of the writer. You've got to feel that this needs to go out beyond you, but have the humility to know, as I do with Spiritually Fierce and everything I write, I am the first student of what I write and bring into the world. And it is my medicine. And it's a great, wonderful bonus that other people may benefit from what I feel to bring into the world. But I never feel this false sense of uh, pressure that somehow the world needs what I've got, right? That is such an egoic attitude. I write because I must write. I read the words I write because they are my medicine. And if I can benefit others, then that's a secondary gain. It's always about what is it that I need? Because our why should be what we most need. That's just the beautiful cosmic intelligence of the universe. It's how it's organized, that we're a student of our service. So if you are trapped in this idea that I have to write this book, the world needs it, they need this, these words, get over yourself. They don't. There's plenty of great wise books out there already. But if you are writing because you need it, then you're on the money. And then you're going to find that others will resonate with it. But if you write it for others, then you will find that it will fall on deaf ears because you are somehow separating yourself from that which you're producing. So 
acknowledge that truth. It is deeply humbling and a beautiful space to sit in that whatever I bring into the world is my medicine. And it's just that beautiful intelligence of the infinite mind that has arranged it so that it's also my service. Thank you for being here for our very first episode of Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. We have some beautiful guests, some wise women sharing their writerly process with us over the coming season. And I'll wrap up the season with some more detailed discussion of that craft of writing and how we can truly produce powerful work in the world. It's been my absolute privilege to serve you. I'll see you soon. to tell you about the Intuitive Intelligence Trainer Certification Program. We are opening up for interviews for our 250-hour trainer program beginning in July 2022 for women and September 2022 for men. The very first time we are welcoming men into the container of this program. This is a gold standard, world-class, groundbreaking training in consciousness and intuitive intelligence development. We train to awaken intuition and consciousness in others, not to read them, not to tell them the answers, but as we do so for ourselves, to develop the intuitive intelligence of those that we serve. This is the key to the spiritual revolution that the world is needing right now. I would be so honored if you would take the time to head to our website, instituteforintuitiveintelligence.com and take a look at the prospectus. You can find all the information you need, including on scholarships that we have available and everything you need to know about your decision to participate in this life-changing work invitation to this program uh, or introduction to the program is by invitation so you will interview with me my name is dr ricky jane adams i am the principal of the institute and it would be my absolute privilege to get to know you and together we can establish if this program is the next best step for your life head to institute for intuitive intelligence.com or just google us and you'll find everything you need